Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. I'm Dr. Chris Tucker from the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and founder of the podcast. I'd like to introduce Dr. Shane No from Midwest Orthopedics in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. No is an avid hip arthroscopist, researcher, and speaker, and he serves as an associate professor and co-director of the Sports Medicine Fellowship in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Rush University. Dr. No was the senior author on a paper titled Preoperative Predictors of Achieving Clinically Significant Athletic Functional Status After Hip Arthroscopy for FAI at Minimum Two-Year Follow-Up which was published in the November 2019 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal. His co-authors include Austin Stone, Edward Beck, Philip Malloy, Jorge Chala, Benedict Wachukwu, and William Neal. Welcome, Shane, and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Chris. Shane, congratulations to you and your co-authors for the work on this study, which I think makes a noteworthy contribution to the growing body of knowledge with respect to improving outcomes in hip arthroscopy for FAI, specifically in athletes. Can you start this podcast off with some background on the development and execution of your study? Sure. Um, uh, as you had mentioned, the treatment of athletes with femoral aphid impingement is certainly growing uh, as it has been in the past uh, decade. And one of the interesting things about patients with femoral acetabulum impingement is that Generally speaking, these are very young athletic patients. Um, historically, a lot of the outcome measures that have um, been used to measure uh, the patient's performance after surgery uh, were really not great in terms of capturing patients' um, ability to return to sport in terms of the right uh, patient report outcome score as well as the right metrics to be able to say that you know, these patients uh, performed well. And so uh, what we wanted to do is what we... Um, what we set out to do was to identify uh, predictors of outcomes uh, that would indicate patients that were doing well after hip arthroscopy with a two-year follow-up. Uh, and so that was um, the goal of our study, really to identify which, which patients that we can see in the office and say, hey, look, uh, this is a patient that we think would do well from surgery. Uh, these are our expectation. This is the data that we've published so far. Uh, uh, based on our experience. And so I think that that was sort of the genesis behind it. As a bit of framework for our discussion, can you first discuss your outcome measures, specifically the primary outcome measure, which you defined as clinically significant athletic or sports function? You define that as either reaching the minimal clinically important difference, or MCID, or the patient acceptable symptomatic state, or PASS for the hip outcome score sports specific at two years. Can you just describe for our listeners what the hip outcome score measures and maybe review for everybody what the MCID and PASS mean with respect to patient outcomes? Sure, uh, so we chose the hip outcome score sports specific subscale uh, because this is the outcome score which we think best reflects what we're trying to accomplish, and that is to identify patients uh, who are returning back to athletic activities. Um, we like this because it incorporates questions such as uh, cutting, pivoting, jumping, and running. Um, and this differs from even these uh, hip outcome score uh, 
activities of daily living subscale as well as a modified Harris HIT score because these scores mostly focus in on uh, patients' uh, daily life activities. And that was kind of the focus of this paper was to evaluate these, these, um, uh, this particular score. Uh, now, in terms of the uh, specific thresholds that we we're looking at, the first one is uh, MCID. MCID stands for the Minimally Clinically Important Difference. Uh, and that is different than what was historically used as this statistically significant difference. Uh, and I think the reason why we've gravitated towards uh, the minimally clinically important difference is that uh, in some cases, while we might identify statistical significance, this might not necessarily mean that a patient uh, feels that there is a significant difference that they can uh, determine. And so uh, the MCID has been probably one of the more common um, thresholds that we've used, uh, or I should say the change in scores that we've used in order to define you know, how many or how many points are needed from pre-op to most recent follow-up for a patient to be able to detect a significant difference. And in this particular study, our, um, our value was uh, 14. Uh, so the patients had to improve by 14 points from pre-op uh, to most recent follow-up for that to be considered consistent with MCID. Uh, so uh, again, MCID is, is, is a change from pre-op to post-op. The PASS, on the other hand, is um, really it asks, we ask the patients at two years, um, you know, how are you doing essentially and do you feel like taking account all the activities that you've done in your daily life uh, and your functional improvement, do you feel that your current state is satisfactory? And so this is more of um, a, a score threshold. And so the score that we use was 72 at two years. And so if they reach a score of 72 or greater, they would be considered to have reached pass. If they had a score of less than 72, they were considered to not have reached pass. Those were the main metrics that we used to determine whether the patients had reached clinically significant act, uh, athletic activity based on their MCID and, and or pass for the HIP outcome score sports-specific subscale. Let's get into a little bit more of the fun stuff. Uh, for our listeners seeking to glean some tips from your experience in hip arthroscopy, can you share with us a few of your key pearls for success with respect to hip arthroscopy for FAI and athletes in general, whether it be your preoperative assessment, your any surgical techniques or postoperative care uh, that you can share with us? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think treating athletes uh, is probably one of the most enjoyable and probably one of the most gratifying things that we do as orthopedic surgeons, uh, sports medicine doctors, and arthroscopists. You know, caring for athletes, I think, is really a privilege. But knowing when to intervene, I think, is still a little bit of a uh, an art form. Uh, and it certainly takes uh, careful listening to the patients in terms of what they're what they're difficulties and what their problems are, and correlating that with their uh, history, their physical exam, and obviously their imaging sites to make a, a good plan. And not all of these cases require surgery. Uh, and in many cases, they, they may require a, a lengthy period of non-operative management. Uh, and in some cases, they may require surgery uh, very, very soon after the onset of symptoms. It really just depends uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, when dealing with in-season athletes in general, 
as long as they're performing at a high level, generally speaking, I, I prefer to let them continue to do what they're what they are doing. And the reason being is that if they're able to do the athletic activities that they are trying to do and they can do that successfully, you know, they may need some ancillary uh, work with the trainers, with the physical therapists, uh, with massage therapists. Uh, maybe they need some anti-inflammatories. Maybe they need some uh, care before and after with um, ice and heat and other modalities. Uh, but ultimately, if they're able to do what they need to do, you know, intervening on them um, may not necessarily be the right decision if they're still doing it. If the patients are demonstrating either significant amounts of pain, weakness, dysfunction, inability to perform and do what they need to do, and they really start to kind of hit a decline, that's what we're trying to figure out. And that decline might occur during the season. Uh, it might occur in the off-season. You know, but I, I think that what what I think what's hard is to figure out at what point are they starting to, you know, to start to deteriorate in terms of their overall functional status. And there's a lot of different competing interests uh, that you have to deal with, both for the patient, uh, maybe the coaches, maybe the agent, maybe the parents, uh, maybe the doctor, maybe the training staff. And so there's a lot of different stakeholders in, in this, but obviously our priority and our, our allegiance is with the patients first and foremost. But I, I think in, in general, you know, if the patients demonstrate pain, dysfunction, and they're, they're starting to really hit that decline, ideally what we'd like to do is treat them uh, relatively soon when we know they've kind of started to, to, to demonstrate that. Uh, and it could be different for everybody. Sometimes it could be a pain issue. Sometimes it could be a performance issue. Uh, it could be a weakness or a functional issue. Um, but I, I think that that's kind of, at least in my mind, like, you know, the key because a lot of athletes will have pain, you know, sometimes it might just be soft tissue problems, tendonitis, you know, either bursitis or some other some other issues that, that just need to be nursed along, although they may be significant complaints of pain. And, you know, I guess kind of knowing when to intervene, is, and I think to be, I still find it to be a challenging, a challenging decision because it, it's, you know, that threshold is probably different for everybody. Um, from a surgical technique standpoint, in general, I think that there are three main components that we try to address during these procedures. Uh, first is a correction of the FAI deformity, either CAM, pincer, or both. Uh, and that needs to be done completely and comprehensively based on uh, direct inspection, as well as imaging at the time of surgery and dynamic examination. The second aspect is a chondrolabor fixation. Uh, and in some cases, uh, cartilage procedures like microfractures and so forth might need to be done. Uh, and the last is capsular management, which might include either capsule repair or capsule application. As far as postoperative care, this I find to be um, really important. And having a good team, both in terms of in the office, uh, therapists and trainers, I think is critical. Uh, to allow the patients to perform as best as possible, uh, but also in a timely fashion. So I, I think that, you know, having a, an experienced team that has good communication with one another, and again, having the, the athlete and the, and the patient at the heart of it um, is, is critical for, for success. Thank you. That was a nice summary of your role as a team physician, as well as your approach to your practice management, specifically for these athletes.
discussing specifically this paper, the purpose of your study was to identify predictors of achieving clinically significant sport function in these athletic patients undergoing hip arthroscopy. Can you share with us your results? You know, so we had uh, in this study, again, we went through our hip institutional registry uh, between 2012 and 2016, and we identified patients who were athletes. And athletes could be defined as anyone describing themselves as either recreational, high school, college, uh, professional uh, athletes uh, with minimum two-year follow-up. And again, our, our main patient report outcome was a hip outcome score sports-specific subscale. And uh, in total, we had 780 patients that met the study criteria with 80% follow-up. Uh, we had a mean age of about 25 years. Uh, and what we found was that uh, of those patients, 500 or 86.5 did achieve a high functional status in that 77.9% reached MCID and 68.7% reached PASS using the HIP outcome score sports-specific subscale. The analysis uh, demonstrated that we found a couple of um, uh, interesting uh, predictors uh, for achieving MCID. Uh, and what we identified was actually a increased alpha angle, preoperative pain duration, BMI, the presence of focal climate defects, and these were all considered to be negative predictors of reaching MCID. Um, when we looked at PASS, uh, what we found was that the presence of a preoperative limp, anxiety or depression, or increased BMI, as well as preoperative pain duration, were also negative predictors for reaching PASS for the HIP outcome score sports-specific subscale. One of the things I really wanted to get into with you, Shane, was, you know, you nicely describe the predictors of success. And there's both modifiable and non-modifiable factors. There's non-modifiable things such as the alpha angle, the presence or absence of chondral defects, pain duration, and then modifiable factors like BMI that you've now nicely identified, which are, you know, potentially good or bad in the patient's uh, interest of, of doing well with a hip scope. So how are you incorporating these findings into your clinical practice with respect to either patient selection or how you're managing them preoperatively with respect to timing of surgery or even offering them surgery? Yeah, so I, I think that those are really good points. There are certain things that we can't change, you know, depending on when the patient lands in our office. Um, but there are certainly some things that we can use as ways of making decisions on some of these patients. You know, when you look at the um, predictors of MCID, a couple of them that I think are interesting, and, and both of them really have to do have to deal with, you know, essentially how long these patients have been dealing with this problem. And so that is a preoperative pain duration, as well as the presence of femoral chondral defects. So I think what we find is that when we treat these patients sooner, you know, that they don't have a long, uh, you know, period in which they've been dealing with this and that we're able to get to them before they develop chondral defects. I think that's kind of changed the way that I've managed some of these patients that, you know, take, for example, like a, a, a patient that, let's say, may may not have stopped playing their sport, but maybe they're starting to really start to decrease their performance, uh, spending more time in the training room, 
you know, every game they're they're sitting in the ice bath, their trainers are spending lots of time with them, and they're basically kind of nursing or hobbling through the season. They can still perform to some extent, uh, but they may have to manage their minutes. They may have to do some um, interventions while they're while they're in season. Uh, but I think those are the, the patients that that we allow them to play as long as they can. But if they reach the end of the season, they're still playing to some extent. We will recommend that they have surgery as soon as the season is done. You know, and and I and I think that that uh, the other the other scenario is that I tell them, look, if your pain prohibits you from playing and you really can't play or it's not fun or your performance is really suffering, uh, then maybe it's not even worth it to get to, get to the end of the season, you know, and, and, and maybe the time is now. And when you look at the past, I mean, even the pre-op uh, presence of a limp also suggests that they've gotten to the point where they're they're having obvious gait disturbances. That, that all obviously is not a good sign either. And I think that speaks to earlier intervention. And the other past factor was the preoperative pain duration um, also, again, you know, similar uh, thought processes. Again, just trying to get these patients sooner rather than later. Sure. So, as a corollary to that, how how are you counseling the patients who have negative predictors of success? You know, whether they're modifiable or not. But say they're non-modifiable. Say they've got a significantly elevated alpha angle, maybe over seventy. And, you know, they've had pain for two years now uh, and they've got a limp and, you know, they got three strikes against them. You can't change any of those factors. How are you, you know, personally counseling that patient with respect to, you know, sitting in front of them and potentially offering them a hip scope? I mean, it, 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 it definitely plays a role. I mean, you know, some of these patients, if they have a large alpha angle with a, uh, you know, if you can already identify a chondral defect that looks like it's more thickness than MRI, you know, it's probably more likely than not that you may have to perform a microfracture. Uh, you know, and again, uh, speak to the extent of the disease. Uh, the way I counsel them is that in the near term, obviously their rehab is going to be more protracted because they'll be on crutches for probably about six to eight weeks with a microfracture. And while we may improve the kinematics and the biomechanics of their joint, uh, they certainly have some uh, irreversible damage or, or changes that have already that have already occurred. Uh, and as you mentioned, the, the preoperative limp, you know, they may have developed a lot of soft tissue compensatory mechanisms as well. Uh, and all those things, I think, will speak to a longer rehab process, uh, and they may not necessarily reach um, MCID or PATH as predictably if they didn't have those three strikes against them. This is where, where I think that sometimes if, if you have the ability to, to record their baseline scores, you know, once in a while they'll have a patient who might kind of have this early, you know, focal condo defect. Uh, maybe they're, you know, they've got a high alpha angle, but they're still somewhat functional. And, you know, they have some pain, but their pass score may be relatively high. You know, and so for those patients, you know, sometimes it's a little challenging because I'm like, look, your pass score, your your pass score, your baseline score right now, you know, kind of meets that threshold in which, you know, you're pretty satisfied with your level of function and your pain may not be that bad. And, you know, in this case, you know, sometimes surgery may not give you the result that you're looking for. And I usually go back to, and I think this is reflected in the past question, Taking into account all the activities or daily life, level of pain and functional impairment, you consider your state satisfactory. 
And so those are the main things that I ask patients is what's your level of pain? How does this affect your daily life? And how does it affect your, your, your function or your recreational activities? And if, you know, I, I think it's always difficult when they have a low level of pain and they still can do some activities, but maybe they can't do as much as they were doing like five years ago. You know, that's always a challenging one because I find that, that those are the ones that you really have to manage their expectations. Be like, look, you know, your, if your pain level is like a, like a three or a four, you're not going to get down to a zero if you already have some focal chondral defects and it's been going out for a while. And, um, you know, those are the ones where I think that preoperative counseling and just kind of managing their expectations is really important. And I just try to lay it to them and, and say, this is, you know, this is what we see. You know, you may, you may or may not find that you reach MCID. Uh, you, 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 may or, you may already be at a pass level right now. Um, your improvement may, you know, you know, there's, there's a decent chance that you're not going to find that there's going to be significant improvement. But at the same time, you know, these are all kind of percentages and, you know, likelihoods of achieving these. And there's some people that do and there's some people that don't. And so I, I just kind of lay it out there for the patient to just kind of be as transparent as possible, you know, with his data and just, you know, try to help them make the right decision for them. I think all excellent advice. All right. One other thing I wanted to pick your brain on, if, if we could. Um, your eligibility criteria for the study was consistent with what most people practice, which is failing conservative measures, including, you know, oral anti-inflammatories, physical therapy, corticosteroid injections. I noticed only 58% of the enrollees had had a history of hip injection prior to having surgery. Can you just speak to the pre-op treatment for your athletes in particular and how you decide when to recommend a pre-op injection or not? And any other particular factors related to that? Uh, sure. So I think the injections I use in my with my patients are usually for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is for diagnostic purposes. So for patients who have multiple locations of pain, for patients who have atypical presentation of pain, uh, or if they have you know sort of combined hip and back and another. Uh, comorbid conditions, I think an, an injection can be helpful just to kind of isolate what is coming from the hip. And I like it because it really allows the patients to kind of hone in and say, all right, you know, following this injection, this is what we can attribute to the hip joint itself. And these other, these other sources might be indirect or they could be compensatory mechanisms uh, that might be related to the hip but might not. And so I think it, it allows patients to have to kind of buy in in terms of where they're hip is contributing to their overall constellation of symptoms. Uh, the second group of patients that I like to use injections on are for the patients who have uh, mild arthritis uh, or a pre-arthritic picture in which I'm really using it for um, not for diagnostic purposes, but really for therapeutic purposes. And in those cases, really my thought is that, well, you, you might be borderline, you know, maybe you've got some condyl disease, maybe we're a little bit late to the, late to the game on this one. Uh, let's see how you do with the injection. Let's see if it helps. How long does it last? Um, and, and once in a while, you'll get someone that gets six plus months of pain relief, and, and they just choose to treat themselves with occasional injections. So for for my athletes, for the young patients, I, I honestly I don't love to do cortisone injections. For me, usually the young athletic patients, their symptoms are usually very straightforward for the most part. I mean, once in a while, they get something something a little bit different or weird, uh, but I think. Most of the athletes are, are, are pretty 
you know, pretty right down the middle in terms of where their symptoms are located, their presentation, and, and I think in those cases, I don't necessarily rely on injection because I'm not using it for diagnostic purposes. I find that they don't, really don't get much pain relief from a therapeutic perspective, and so I prefer not to do it unless unless we're really kind of in a bind and, you know, have to say they've got some commitment coming up and just need to get some relief. But uh, for the most part, I try to avoid it if I can. That was kind of what I was expecting to hear, which is uh, with respect to having the, you know, only about half the patients having had an injection. Okay, I, I think we can get close to wrapping this up. And um, I just want to give you the opportunity to share with the listeners your one take-home point with respect to achieving successful improvement in athletic function following hip arthroscopy for FAI in athletes. I, I think, you know, it's uh, for, for patients who are athletic um, who uh, present to us with um, impingement, label tears, the way that my treatment has evolved over the years, and in part based on studies like this is, you know, again, really trying to uh, allow these patients to maintain their high level of activity and function, trying to identify at what point they're having problems and addressing it relatively uh, efficiently so that they're not dealing with this for a long period of time. And I think that that speaks to the, some of the findings that we've had in terms of preoperative pain duration, uh, presence or uh, presence of a preoperative limp, uh, the presence of focal chondral defects. Uh, these are all, to me, prognostic factors that go into the algorithm as far as when we should be treating them. I think in general for the athletic patients, especially if they're either in college or or on the professional or semi-professional level, and even high school for that matter, I I think that their lifespan as a competitive athlete could be relatively short. Uh, And I think having them deal with a nagging injury for like multiple seasons tends to be, uh, I think, disappointing for them. Um, so I think I think I've I've changed the way I've, I've dealt with it, and, and um, I, I, again, it's you know tailored to the specific patient, and, and that, again, knowing when when they're really starting to decline in terms of their overall uh, functional status. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today, Shane. I I learned a lot from your paper, and uh, I learned a lot by talking with you today. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate uh, you inviting me to, to to participate in the podcast. Our pleasure. Dr. No's article titled Preoperative Predictors of Achieving Clinically Significant Athletic Functional Status After Hip Arthroscopy for FAI at Minimum Two-Year Follow-Up can be found in the November 2019 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal, which is available online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Shane, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Chris. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.